radio that isn't bought and paid for by the usual bad guys, please subscribe to Truth Jihad Radio. You can go to truthjihad.com or you can visit my substack at kevinbarrett.substack.com. By subscribing, you will get early access and free downloads. Welcome to Truth Jihad Audio Visual. I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing the most interesting non-mainstream voices to the screen and uh, to the internet radio airwaves. Today we're going back to an old colleague. Well, he's not that old, but we're all getting older. But, uh, he's, he's been around, we've been around uh, and through a number of stories together. That's Professor Anthony Hall, uh, uh, retired from the University of Lethbridge. Uh, had a wonderful free speech battle that he fought the bad guys to a draw in. That was a truly heroic episode. And now Tony Hall has become an expert on the Canadian truckers movement. He's published 17 articles at Global Research, and his latest one is called Democracy, Authoritarianism, and Canada's Truckers Movement. We're going to go through some of that. So, hey, welcome back, Tony. Great to have you. Well, it's very nice to be here and uh, be reunited with, uh, we did two years uh running of uh, False Flag Weekly News every week. Uh, yeah, we've, we've done slideshows before, so let's get to yeah. our slideshow here. Okay, this is your latest article. Uh, yes, uh, and basically uh, this article focuses on a particular aspect of the truckers' movement uh, that happened in Coots, Alberta, uh, at the border between Montana and Alberta, Sweetgrass, Montana, and Coots, Alberta. And uh, there have been a number of arrests that happened just uh, on on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, the day that the emergency uh, act was put in place by the Trudeau Freeland government in Canada. And as that was taking place, there were a number of criminal charges being pressed against uh, the activists at Coots. Uh, and to build up this whole, you know, terrorist uh, idea, the concept that we're dealing with a, a terrorist insurrection. It's quite a, val- uh, that, quite a valentine from Trudeau to the freedom movement, wasn't it? Yeah. And as we'll see, the timing is very suspicious. Now, the premise of this starts with an interview that Global uh, Television Network did with uh, Dave, uh, David L. Long, the U.S. ambassador to Canada. And uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, But he uh, raises these issues of democracy, authoritarianism, and the Canadian truckers movement. And if we can move it along, Kevin, to the next uh, slide. You know, here is the interview with uh, David Cohen at Global News. And Global News itself is part of this story. And if we go to the next slide, we'll see, you know, his astonishing uh, commentary. He speaks about... uh, uh, China and Russian are subverting democracy. They are authoritarian entities. And also, uh, China and Russia are among the actors involved in those attempts to subvert democracy, but also domestic forces, including elements in the truckers' convoy that blockaded the Canadian capital and border crossings for three weeks earlier this year. Uh, it was the Russians that did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what a, what a, what a promotion, what an elevation. There are three major enemies that Canada and U.S. share, China, Russia, and the Canadian truckers movement. And the Canadian truckers movement, uh, 
are uh, subverting democratic processes and uh, furthering the course of authoritarianism. So the Canadian truckers movement is not only not democratic, and it's acting in a very democratic way, I would say, by taking that convoy to Ottawa and raising uh, the discussion and raising the ante and the stakes in this whole issue around COVID restrictions and mandates, but it's furthering the cause of authoritarianism. It's so a Russian this is invasion. A, yeah, this is a, a very strange thing for a U.S. ambassador to come to Canada and start lecturing Canadians that we have to fight Russia and China and the Canadian truckers movement. They're all the same. <laughs> Last They're authoritarian dangers to, to the future of our democracy. It's kind of over the top. To so let's keep, let's keep moving to, uh, this is the slide uh, of the event at Coots, Alberta. And, of course, I was paying, at the time, largely attention to what was going on in Ottawa and following it very carefully. Uh, and I was aware of uh, Coots, which is about 100 miles from here, people going down there. I didn't actually go down there. I was just following uh, the main show in Ottawa. But many thousands of people did go to Coots. And it's called an illegal blockade. And Coots turns out to be the place where the Trudeau government is looking for terrorists, is setting up a whole spectacle leading to a show trial sometime in 2023, where four individuals who are presently in jail and have been in jail since February the 14th, and will be in jail until summer of 2023 and haven't been convicted of anything and are being denied bail, these four individuals are charged with something called conspiracy to commit murder. Now, that's a pretty heavy-duty charge. Who are they attempting to murder, supposedly, conspiring to commit murder against? Well, the RCMP, the very RCMP that is bringing charges against them. And this is kind of a conflict of interest. Of course, uh, you, you know, here we have murder trials without any murders. And who are these would-be murderers who are conspiring to commit murder? Not just murder, but cop killing. You know, if, if there was a, a cop killed in Lethbridge, we would have 5,000 policemen from all over Canada marking, marching down our main street. Like, this is a very serious matter. So if we can go to the next slide, we can see the four who are charged. And, you know, we hear a lot about Tamara Leach. We hear about a lot about Pat King. Uh, we hear about the people who were in Ottawa. But these four individuals have been more or less totally under the radar. And uh, trials have been taking place, bail hearings and, and preliminary procedures of different sorts have been taking place at the Lethbridge Courthouse, which is about 300 yards from where I'm sitting right now. So at first, our group was prevented from going into the trial because of why COVID or, you know, these different procedures that have taken place. But finally, we can get in and, and watch these procedures. So these four individuals charged with conspiracy to commit murder of RCMP officers, Chris Carbert, 44, Anthony Olianik, 39, Jerry Moran, 40, Christopher Lysak, 48. So well, let me just underline the drama of keeping these four individuals in jail for a year and a half 
without any without any procedure to see if they're guilty or not. You know, that's what the trial will be for. This show trial, this spectacle coming up sometime in 2023. And uh, so is, is, is that the definition of a political prisoner? Uh, Pat King just finally got out of uh, jail. He didn't get bail until yesterday. Tamara Leach is back in jail. They're covered. There's a sort of international attention paid to them. But these four individuals are not covered. Rebel News, which covers this event in Canada, you know, people are very wary of seeming, you know, of identifying with people who are being charged with weapons offenses and and whatnot. Uh, Now, this event at Coots is more complex than it's made to seem. When Christia Freeland, our deputy prime minister, was introducing all these aspects of the Emergency Act, and she was focusing on the financial aspects of it, the fact that uh, people's, uh, these truckers' accounts would be frozen, that banks would be required to freeze their accounts, that there was no court order required. Uh, when she was uh, uh, going on about this, it was all to do with, you know, the financing of terrorism acts. So you needed some terrorists. So here are the terrorists being provided literally as the emergency act is, is, is being introduced. How and, convenient. Yeah. And, and actually what they call an illegal blockade. And when Freeland was introducing this, she, she said the phrase illegal blockade maybe 11 times in four minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. Ottawa was not an illegal blockade. They might call it an occupation, but that's stretching it. But somehow this word blockade just seems to uh, empower anything the government wants to do. And, and, of course, beneath it all is this terrorism situation. Once somebody gets designated a terrorist, you don't really have to prove it. They can be kept in prison indefinitely. Uh, you know, the whole idea of innocence until guilt is proven, that's kind of a lost concept. Uh, but in any case, at Coots, there was a lot of traffic actually going across the border. There were constant negotiations. Yeah, so it, it wasn't doing, totally blockaded. It wasn't totally blockaded. And the people carrying on the negotiations were, you know, truckers and their supporters and RCMP, but also members of the existing government in Alberta, the provincial government in Alberta who's uh, run by Jason Kenney, Premier Jason Kenney, who's now resigned, and there's a contest taking place for who will be the uh, leader of the ruling party in Alberta. Uh, So uh, there were, you know, officials from the provincial government also taking place in the negotiations. And the negotiations involved uh, various emergency situations where it was decided somebody should go through or Maybe school buses should go through. So it wasn't a full-fledged blockade. So let's uh, see how uh, City News covered it, if we can run that clip, a three-minute clip. Okay, let's... Uh... The, um, the uh, developments with the weapons and, and, the, and the personal armor was, was not associated with us. As the Coots border crossing clears, organizers trying to distance themselves from what could have been. The biggest thing for me, and I think for the group, is let's prove this was not violent 
and I want a thorough and thorough deep Wait, investigation into these gun uh, charges. Guns, ammo, and body armor seized when RCMP arrested 11 people in a pre-dawn Tuesday morning raid, with charges ranging from mischief, weapons offenses, and conspiracy to commit murder. Police alleging connection to an organized group said to have a willingness to use force against police if any attempts were made to disrupt the blockade. Although RCMP have not commented on what group, these patches stood out for the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Diagon is a, uh, a group that, uh, you know, it, it started off almost as, as, as almost a joke. Uh, but has become kind of a quasi-militia with individuals engaged in weapons training, basically based on an imaginary country that extends from Alaska to Florida. The anti-hate network will be watching to see how these patches play into the larger story of the arrests at Coots, saying they classify Daegalon as accelerationists. Who believe that by accelerating the downfall of society by way of assassinations, uh, violent attacks, they would bring about their, you know, ethnostate. So it's been co-opted by groups. It's not surprising that we're seeing this uh, in Canada. Counterterrorism expert Mubin Sheikh says there's been a rise in far-right accelerationists in Canada. Just last October, a former Army reservist from Manitoba, Patrick Matthews, was sentenced to nine years for what the FBI says was his role in trying to trigger a race war with accelerationist group the base. For Diagolon, their de facto leader is also ex-military. And in a Tuesday night live stream from Ottawa, Jeremy McKenzie addressed the arrest. Keep the boys in Alberta. They got arrested. We haven't heard from them. We don't know what's going on. Uh, there's some rumors they're, they're getting charges and heavy sh- He's somebody of a concern because the rhetoric he's been using is very accelerationist. Uh, the idea that, the, again, the idea of taking advantage and, and looking for opportunities to kind of essentially fill in the gap if, if there's some sort of societal collapse and kind of hoping and helping it to move along. RCMP in Coots arrested two more people on top of those initial 11, one for attempting to ram police vehicles and another arriving at the protest with guns. For Sheikh, he'll be watching for more charges. The, the threat of violence and the threat or actual use of violence against government in, in, a, in an effort to overturn its policies, that's literally the definition of terrorism. And curious if the U.S. will be involved, given what could have been so close to the border. Okay, well, that's uh, quite quite the uh, you know, the news story. Stay, go back to that. Okay. Yeah, um, I think that would be called uh, some kind of a, a trial by media. Um, they've essentially run a trial on this three-minute news article and somehow built up the fact that uh, not only were they planning violence at Coots and killing policemen, although it, it, it's a new story, so it's not developed in that way, but you know, the, the, then they attach onto it this story of Diagolon, and we'll be going into that. And there's a whole squadron of new kinds of experts being uh, promoted in Canada, given government funding, experts in counterterrorism. And uh, so they've focused in on a concept of diagonal, which is a, a sort of whimsical thing promoted as a, a bit of a joke by Jeremy McKenzie, a blogger in Pictou, Nova Scotia. So he just event, invented this concept. 
of like a country that would go from Alaska to Florida. And we know that there is in the United States since the election, you know, there is a movement in the United States saying we would like to secede from the United States. We'd like to get rid of California and New York and the internal states. Uh, you know, let, 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 let's, uh, why have the federal government? They, they only do bad things to us. The uh, Supreme Court wouldn't even look into the election fraud issue. And there's a separatist, uh, an independence movement in Alberta. And uh, who knows about Yukon and Alaska? So there, so in, in reflecting on this in a kind of joking manner, Jeremy McKenzie simply made a flag with a diagonal line and, and called it diagonal. Anyway, as you see that this is being built up by so-called experts, the chief expert being Bernie Farber, a well-known official in the Canadian Jewish Congress, you know, closely connected to the Bene Brith Canada and the Anti-Defamation League. And uh, so he is uh, getting funded by the Trudeau government. Uh, it could be that these, uh, that the anti, uh, that the Canadian Anti-Hate Network might have you know, expert witnesses in this show trial that is going to take place in Lethbridge sometime in 2023. Mm-hmm. But this diagonal is, it's, it's quite a thing to say, well, it's a neo-Nazi militia. It's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, the extravagant claims being made are, are, are extraordinary. Well, if you look in the links, you know, there's an interesting commentary by Jeremy McKenzie himself, the person who invented diagonal. And he talks about the serious nature of this. I don't think we'll be able to show it in this in this round uh, because yeah, he, only... he, he explains it's it's kind of a, a political prank to designed to make people think. You know, he didn't he never came up with this as like let's all pick up our guns and create a new state from from Alaska to Florida through Alberta. That's it's and and he's he's flabbergasted at what the authorities are saying about him. Yeah, and it, and it's flabbergasting, like, for instance, this pseudo sci- uh, social science language, like accelerationists. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the four individuals charged with conspiracy to commit murder, they're being introduced. This isn't language that comes from any recognizable group on the ground who's trying to organize. This is something that anthropologists are, have invented to say, well, they're in such a hurry to create violent revolution, violent overthrow that they want to accelerate with guns. I mean, I think this is very clearly part of uh, the Canadian version of what went on and what is going on because of the Capitol, what happened on January 6th, Mm -hmm. uh, 2021 uh, at at the Capitol, um, that we're creating a Canadian version of domestic terrorism. So let's move on and say, you know, the the people who have been getting publicity, yeah, um, uh, develop- no, no, we'll have to go. Yeah, uh, uh, the person sort of given uh, credit for sort of starting the movement, Tamara Leach, who comes from uh, Medicine Hat, which is about uh, 100 miles from here. And she was uh, finally released after being in jail in Ottawa for several weeks. She was released on bail. But then there was a, a warrant went out for her arrest for... Uh, breaking the terms of the bail by uh, meeting with a person called uh, Tom Morazzo, uh, who was a, another trucker. Um, so she's back in jail. And, uh, you know, Tamara Leach, with her many conditions to get out and bail, her, her real trial hasn't happened. 
So, you know, I, it seems to me she's kind of a prototype for where we're headed, where we all have a list of who we're allowed to talk to or not talk to and mm-hmm. where we can talk to them and where we can't go. And what what was know, she charged with, Tony? Different types of mischief charges. Mischief? And, uh, yeah, what, what's with, this business about mischief? Are these people are all and charged then, with and mischief? And then counseling, to, counseling others to create mischief or I mean, the, the word mischief others. in my understanding is something that kids do it's like little kids who get up to mischief but you can't imagine people being charged adults being charged and jailed for mischief and counseling mischief it's ridiculous yeah but it's a lot different being charged with conspiracy to commit murder and what we're doing here in this uh broadcast is widening the mm-hmm. uh spectacle of what's really going on in canada uh trudeau and freeland withdrew the Emergency Act, giving them unusual powers, which they used in the banking mm-hmm. realm to uh, empower police to uh, do violence to people. Uh, but then the Emergency Act was withdrawn on February 23rd, the day before Putin declared uh, he was going to send troops into Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. In any case, uh, the... Uh, Emergency Act may have been withdrawn, but he is still unrelenting. The clampdown is great. And the effort in Canada in the media to transform the truckers, which was this brilliant movement. And, uh, you know, we'll you and, must have and, seen and, and totally peaceful, Tony. And the truckers were, and, were and, and law abiding. And they liked they liked the police. They weren't like plotting to kill the police. I mean, this is so so ridiculous. Well, I think what was really going on was they had a lot of support with the police. Exactly. And the fact that they were able to park their uh, trucks so sort of symmetrically and poetically right in downtown core, I can't imagine that going on without police giving them assistance. And, of mm-hmm. course, this uh, whole issue of, of veterans, you know, you notice Jeremy McKenzie, oh, it's very uh, menacing that he's a veteran. Uh, but, you know, veterans took, took part in large number in Ottawa. James Topp, who walked across Canada, is, is a soldier. Uh, uh, so, so the nature of what police and military are doing and have been uh, talking among themselves about doing in, with respect to, you know, the COVID restrictions, the lockdowns, but then the COVID mandates, And then the reality that it's emerging that the COVID injections, which aren't really vaccines, are extremely lethal and dangerous and may be responsible for tens of thousands of deaths or hundreds of thousands of deaths or millions of deaths. We really don't know because the whole thing is causal. What's that? Probably not millions. Uh, Well, I would would just say, you know, you're, you're very, you're in a camp on this. And I don't want to get into okay, it, we want to but I that. don't think it's, you know, and, and, and it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your life is shortened by 10 years, mm-hmm. is that, is that. It certainly, uh, it certainly violates the do no harm principle I'll, that we can agree on. Uh, and uh, informed consent, informed yeah. consent is totally gone from government, all yeah. aspects of government. Yeah. They just do what they want. Yep. So, so let's move on from Tamara Litch to Patrick King. Now, when I first heard uh, uh, an announcement of this convoy to come, it was Patrick King speaking into the camera. He's from Red Deer, Alberta. 
no doubt he's a, uh, an oil worker. He, he's a working fellow. He's outspoken. He's very clearly spoken. He went to court and got a considerable amount of attention. Stu Peters did a big expose on his case uh, and, you know, made considerable headway in court representing himself. And he was uh, very much a kind of a voice of a trucker. Tamara Litch, I guess, doesn't have the sort of aura of a trucker, but uh, Pat Maybe King she's, she's certainly cool, does. She's cool. What? We she's like cool. Her. We like her. She's, she's, she's very got, cool. She's got a thing. <laughs> and she's uh, matey and, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's very uh, determined mm-hmm. and well-spoken. She got a big award when she was photographed beside this Tom Marazzo uh, and uh, then charged with, you know, breaking her bail terms. Mm-hmm. These bail terms are, you know, you're walking around with this list of a, who you can talk to, who you can't talk well, to. Well, that's what, what political mischief is talking to the wrong people. Political mischief is anything opposing Trudeau, right? Well, and, and it, it seems to me this is where all of us are headed mm. with this crackdown, uh, you know, the, 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 the digital systems they're creating, the mm. social credit systems. We're all going to have rules about what we can do, what we can eat, what we mm. can buy, what we can't buy, you know, all, all done through uh, computers. Anyway, Patrick King, he just got out of uh, prison. He was in, arrested in uh, February, and he got out yesterday. And we're halfway through July, more than halfway through July. So he's another one that gets a lot of attention. So let's move forward uh, to the next slide and uh, go back to uh, Ambassador David L. Cohen, the U.S. Uh, uh ambassador to Canada, who said, you know, we've got to worry about Russia, China, and the Canadian truckers, uh, instructing Canadians that they had a democratic problem in their hand. If we go to the next uh, slide, uh, I noticed in looking at who he is, he's from a company called uh, Comcast, which owns, among other things, NBC Universal, And he was uh, the vice president, executive vice president in charge of diversity. And we know what a big thing diversity is and why we've mm. got open borders and why we want lots of diversity. Yeah, he, he looks like he's, he's halfway to transgender already. Kind of a singularly uh, unpleasant looking fellow. Well, uh, interestingly, in 1993, I noticed he got an award from the Anti-Defamation League. Most mm. of our audience will know well what that is. Yeah, you're, you're uh, good friends. Yeah, I was taken to task by uh, the Canadian branch plan of the Anti-Defamation League for what I was saying on False Flag Weekly News with you. And uh, what I'm talking about now, I suppose, would might fit that category. So in 1993, the ADL was in a real pickle with legal cases. In San Francisco, they were exposed uh, doing spying on many left-wing organizations. Just up until that period, Israel and uh, South Africa were close allies. And uh, the ADL spies in San Francisco were infiltrating anti-apartheid groups in San Francisco and Greenpeace groups. And uh, many of this, m- many of the, uh, those who were being spied upon sued the ADL. And the ADL is a kind of intelligence network. It has enormous uh, influence on at Silicon Valley. It's kind of pushing this hate speech 
uh, paradigm as a way to censor and close down uh, free conversation. So it's interesting that this David Long was a hero of Americanism for the Anti-Defamation League in 1993. So if we move on uh, from here, uh, we're going to shift gear a little bit now. All of this coverage that we're talking about, or much of it comes from Global News. Global News did the interview with David L. Long, and we'll see Global News is pushing this whole diagonal and domestic terrorist agenda. The founder of uh, Global News is Izzy Asper, Israel Asper. Now, you know, we focus a lot on the big media venues and how corrupt they are and how uh, manipulated they are from above. BBC, say, CBC in Canada, Washington Post, CNN. But the smaller networks have also been very involved in manipulating the agenda and censoring some news and emphasizing other news. And even, I think, in this, in this case, creating news about the, uh, you know, what went on in Coots and creating this very extravagant story. So the founder of uh, Global News, in 1975, he bought a, a station in North Dakota, moved it to Winnipeg, his hometown, a tax lawyer, Izzy Asper, and built it up into Canwest Global, which ended up purchasing the biggest newspaper chain in Canada, uh, Southam. And uh, they purchased a national post from uh, a Conrad Black, who's, who will need no introduction to many people, a very famous right-wing conservative neocon Canadian. So if we can move, move along uh, this Canwest Global, I happen to run into uh, this picture. Now, this is Israel Asper with his daughter, Gail. He has, she has, uh, Izzy Asper has uh, a daughter and two sons, and the two sons ran the newspaper. Gail took over the project of creating a Holocaust museum. And uh, Izzy Asper would take students down to Washington to look at the Holocaust museum, and it became his, his, his ideal, his dream to create a Canadian Holocaust Museum. And then uh, in the process, Gail, who took over after her father died in 2003, she uh, sort of managed the project so that the Holocaust Museum, the federal government put some pressure on them to say, well, let's do a human rights museum. So the Asper Foundation was in charge of this. And we see that uh, the Asper Foundation is you know, in close contact with Benjamin Netanyahu, Gail is currently working on the World Jewish Museum Project in Tel Aviv, which will be unwrapped soon. So human, this, rights, human Rights Museum uh, with the backing of Netanyahu. Whoa, my goodness. Yeah, so it sort of speaks to uh, a concept of, well, who, who's running the human rights show these days? And uh, who are the victims of human rights predations? Uh, you know, well, well, where, where did the Palestinians fit into all of this? So let's move along. You know, if, I, and, if, I, uh, if I were to do a Muslim Holocaust Museum, I, I should shoot and stuff Netanyahu and put him on display. Uh, and the people who come to the museum can throw pebbles at him, just like they, they stone the devil at the Hajj. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I married these, these two uh, images. Mm. But, uh, you know, I was briefly on the... Uh, content board of the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. 
when they brought in. <laughs> Hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah, and we actually sat in the boardroom of you know where uh, of, of of Canwest Global and which owned all these newspapers uh, in Winnipeg, and we talked about what would be in this uh, Canadian Museum of Human Rights. And at this, you know, Gail very much explained that her dad had this vision of a Holocaust museum, and now they are widening the, widening the frame framework to a human rights museum. And uh, so that this is a very interesting story, how a human, how a Holocaust museum becomes a human rights museum, the Canadian human rights museum. Let's go on to the next uh, slide. And uh, uh, when the Aspers took over uh, Southam, and, you know, basically all the main newspapers in Canada, except for the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Star, uh, they, they were, they were very clear that we're going to only tell good news stories about Israel. We're not going to, uh, emphasize, uh, predations on Palestinians. Uh, you know, it's going to be a very pro-Zionist and, you know, Menachem Begin, uh, Netanyahu, who are very, sort of uh, revisionist Zionist, right-wing Zionist approach. And so, of course, they took a lot of criticism. Some people called them fascists and such. They fired different people who, you know, were prone to tell the Palestinian side of the story. If we can move on, uh, and, and this history of uh, Canwest Global and the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. So here is the $10 bill being... Uh, introduced in Canada in 2018. And you'll notice that the Canadian Museum of Human Rights is featured on the $10 bill, which I might have one sitting in my pocket right now. Um, and uh, also on the $10 bill is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which spells out that we are protected for, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, all, all kinds of these basic freedoms, bodily autonomy, which have been uh, overpowered by the COVID restrictions and the injection mandates. So what happens to the Bill of Rights? What happens to all these UN declarations, these poetic declarations? We have all these rights, it seems, until we need them, until we need protection from a malevolent force, which is usually governments coming in and saying, no, you, you don't have these freedoms. So if we go to the next, uh, the next slide, uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms has simply been put aside in Canada. And so all our charter, uh, charter rights and freedoms are being violated. And, uh, you know, just as they are in every country. Uh, and, uh, Brian Peckford, the former premier of Newfoundland, he has gone on the road in a sense. He has, taken up a campaign. He is suing the federal government, saying that they are violating the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So that's he Brian, calls Brian net- Peckford on the left here. Yeah, that's Brian Peckford on the left with Brett Weinstein. And so he's been on lots of shows, but Brian Peckford emphasizes the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And the Canadian Museum of Human Rights, you would think, would have some kind of duty to speak about the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, it has the very wording of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms beside the image, its image on the $10 bill, the wording. But it turns out the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is just fluff. It could just be pushed aside. Uh, the judiciary in Canada isn't able to somehow 
formulate a case which uh, will tell us, you know, what takes preemption, what, what, what takes preeminence. Is it the, all these regulations and administrative details coming out of the uh, governments telling us, you know, you can only be so many people in a room, you, can, you have to stay this far apart. The, I mean, the lockdowns were a huge violation of human rights and disastrous to the economy and disastrous to people's psychological and physical health as well. And then, of course, the the mandated injections and the, the the era when people have bodily autonomy. If you can put this into us and force it into us through coercion, not only do we not get informed consent, how can we get informed consent when it's all advertising by movie stars telling us we need this stuff? Movie stars like Celine Dion, who seems to be crippled herself by uh, uh, vaccination injuries and paralysis right now. So the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and where does it, this all fit? So when we go back, to, when we go to the next slide, uh, we'll see, you know, in the Canadian context, I guess these are the people that those of us who don't like the mandates have been uh, skeptical of uh, the case that these injections are safe and effective. These are the people we boo. And we could say, well, our, our prime minister is technically Justin Trudeau, but there above him is Klaus Schwab. And uh, Klaus Schwab founded the uh, World Economic Forum. And Trudeau is the sort of mascot of the pr prime ministerial graduates of the uh, youth program or of the young people, young leaders program. Uh, so in a certain sense, although we voted for Trudeau, some of us, he's had two minority governments now. He doesn't have a majority of the seats in parliament. But our real prime minister is Schwab, you know, and, and our real uh, basis of government is not the parliament of Canada in Ottawa, as the truckers found out. The real basis of our government is in Davos, where our uh, prime minister gets his orders. And Schwab bragged that over half the Canadian government are graduates of this Young Leaders Program. It seems that if you were a graduate of this, you went into, you know, you just got a cabinet post. For instance, there is Melanie Jolie, our Minister of Foreign Affairs. She is a graduate of the Young Leaders Program. There is uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh, the head of the supposedly left-leaning, working-class New Democratic Party. Jagmeet Singh, of course, is a Sikh, and he uh, automatically backs Trudeau in all his parliamentary legislation and any act he wants to bring forward. He can count on the backing of the NDP. So we really have a kind of coalition government. And uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh has really let, you know, working people down. He he condescends to working people. He he is really an embarrassment to the heritage of the uh, Social Democratic NDP. And there is Teresa Tam, and she is uh, very close in with the World Health Organization. Um, and she is the, you know, the, the medical officer uh, in Canada. And then uh, on the upper right-hand corner, corner is Christia Freeland. Christia Freeland is uh, of Ukrainian background, her family. In fact, her grandfather, Michael Chomiak, was the most uh, famous 
Nazi propagandist in Galicia and was editor of the Nazi newspaper there. And uh, a lot of uh, Ukrainians didn't like the Soviet regime and uh, rejected the atheistic uh, Soviet regime and its uh, Stalinist uh, roots. This is during the 1930s into World War II. So they had good reasons to become Ukro-Nazis. Well, they... they uh, Anyway, the, the Waffen SS in Galicia got a lot of Ukrainian uh, backing and people joined the Hitlerian effort to overthrow uh, Russia. And, uh, and many of those people after uh, World War II emigrated to Canada. So she is speaking on behalf of a big constituency of Ukrainians who have a history of siding with the Third Reich in uh, World War II and have a history of hostility to Russia. And that, of course, is being played out in a major way in the politics. Interestingly, as Trudeau was, you know, stood in the House of Commons and said, you conservative party, you're standing with the swastika. A swastika was seen in Ottawa and you're standing with the swastika. But within, you know, days, Freeland and Trudeau are rushing off to uh, Ukraine to give backing to the Ukrainian government, which includes a lot of units which are neo-Nazi, which are overtly, you know, in, demonstrate themselves to be identifying with the Nazi heritage of Ukraine. Um, so, uh, Isn't that interesting could, how the Zionist Jews, like some of the people you talked about earlier with the uh, Holocaust Museum, Human Rights and so on, those are the people who are most adamantly in bed with the Ukro-Nazis. Well, it's, you know, the, the, the so-called oligarchs, Kolomoisky is the, the big one. You know, he, he sponsored Zelensky, made a TV show about him being president and then actually transformed him into the president. Mm -hmm. And he's Jewish, of course. And you see on CNN, well, Ukraine can't be anti-Semitic because it has a Jewish prime minister. Uh, well, you know, there was a very comfy relationship between Jewish plutocrats and Nazi militarists in uh, the government created by the U.S. Uh, in 2014. So this idea that uh, Jews and Nazis are always antagonistic, well, it just doesn't conform with history. We know the transfer agreement, the Nazis in Germany got along very well. This is a Zionist association in Germany, and they created a, a deal to um, help Jews emigrate to Palestine uh, and uh, anyway, so all of this is being played out. And of course, Putin in saying, you know, he's sending troops into Ukraine. He made it very clear right from the start that this is largely about denazification, that Ukraine, he sees as a very Nazified society. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, is NATO becoming a kind of Nazified society, a fascistic society? We talk a lot about China and communism, but uh, you know, I'd say the treatment of the truckers at Coots and uh, these charges and keeping people in jail for a year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, you know, awaiting trial. I mean, that is a mischievous way to convey these people are very dangerous. Mm -hmm. They can't be let loose. So yeah, when I, it gets I, to a jury the, trial. I think you're really onto something here, Tony, uh, because the, the Nazi political first political principle is to scapegoat. Uh, either a, an internal or external enemy. And 
Carl Schmitt, the leading Nazi philosopher, you know, made that the building block of his whole political philosophy. And that's what these people are doing. They're destroying human rights in Canada by scapegoating the truckers movement in the same way that, you know, Nazis scapegoated various groups. Now, the word neo-Nazi, uh, you know, becomes a kind of a, a caricature, like the word terrorism or hate speech uh, or domestic terrorists or white supremacists. And also the word democracy becomes kind of a caricature. It, it, it's, it's kind of a cartoon-like phrase that loses all meaning. Uh, and, you know, we, we need a, a, a much more thoughtful, balanced account of who the Nazis are rather than treated as, you know, mm. Putin's a Nazi, hit, uh, Trudeau's a Nazi. Everybody who's bad and evil is, is Hitler and, mm. and a Nazi. Like, it's a little more complicated that and we need a little more nuance than that. But mm. nevertheless, uh, fascism and, uh, you know, its excesses I think they, they are real and they are part of a, a larger story that we have to come to terms with a many faceted story. But let's move on to, uh, 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 you know, this is a good image. Um, I'm going to make a, a sign of this. We meet every Saturday and hold up signs on the road. We can't get reported, you know, locally in the newspaper or on television. What we can do in this police state environment that we live in where we can't really communicate through mainstream is hold up signs on a street. So that's what we do in, in Lethbridge every Saturday from two to four. Um, so Trudeau's popularity really went down, especially since the truckers came into Ottawa, having brought forward, you know, a tremendous display of support in little hamlets and villages and towns and cities across Canada, across the northern you know, Canada is quite an Arctic country when you get on that uh, route, when you get into the Canadian Shield. And by the time the truckers got to Ottawa, they clearly had a constituency of people who were behind them, who were glad to see them. And, you know, immediately Trudeau called them a fringe minority and called them uh, racists and bigots and all kinds of uh, insulting terms and said, you know, should we have patience for these people? They're, they're wrong. They're, they're, what they're proposing is, you know, is, is dangerous. We have enlightened injection policies. Well, already by this time, by February of 2022, the fact that there were these major problems, that, which we could argue about, but the vaccines could be argued, you know, have been a much more diabolical bioweapon than anything else in this whole process. But let's move to the next subject, the, the, the next. Uh, uh, many people will be familiar with this uh, imagery here, but there is, you know, rumors that uh, Justin Trudeau is actually Fidel Castro's son. And here's an effort, if you look at these pictures, to demonstrate the uncanny resemblance. Certainly, you know, one thing that uh, I'd like to convey to those, you know, who are not Canadians, like, be aware that we've known Justin Trudeau since he was a baby. And, you know, we remember him going to Cuba with his parents. And uh, Canada has a very different relationship with Cuba because of Trudeau Sr. than the United States. I've been to Cuba four times. I quite, you know, liked that you know, relationship. I, I, with I knew that, that uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau uh, was had a close friend of Castro, but I didn't realize he was that close. 
Well, um, Margaret Trudeau and Pierre Trudeau were kind of notorious as swingers. You know, they had a very unorthodox um, sex life or, you know, they were they were riding high on the on the 70s. And, and uh, uh, I, I saw uh, Pierre Trudeau courting Margaret at Whistler Mountain. I, uh, there they were. And he was, you know, uh, trying to uh, hustle and marry this uh, very young woman, attractive woman. And, uh, you know, so they, they, they had a kind of wild scene. So Justin grew up in a kind of wild scene. But this idea of uh, Trudeau uh, having relations with Castro, when, I, when the funeral of uh, Pierre Trudeau happened in Montreal, there were many heads of state there. But, the, uh, but Castro, Fidel Castro, he sat with the family in 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 the uh funeral of uh, Pierre Trudeau. So there's something going on with the Trudeaus and and the Castros. Is it possible that, you know, that Fidel in fact fathered Justin? It's not a, it's not completely improbable, but I wouldn't say, you know, I I'm not going to take a position on it. But it, it's it's it's, a, it's a, certainly a gossip point. And if we go to the next slide, We'll see. Uh, so this this is the uh, the one we the video we have to play, Tony. Should I should I play it? All right. Yeah. Let, yeah. This is a contrast between what Trudeau said about the truckers and what in fact happened. Now we don't see anything coming okay. up. Made by Global Research TV, Michelle Chosodowski. Yeah, freedom. <laughs> Hate can never be the answer. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly disgusted by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. Oui, Monsieur Trudeau, son mouvement est multiracial. Tout le monde est dedans. Les Noirs africains sont dedans. On en a marre. On veut, les, on veut être libre, comme on dit. Ce n'est pas du racisme. J'ai été ici. Je viens de Québec. Je suis venu voir de mes propres yeux. Like they saw a lot of Nazi flags or something like that, a lot of violation. I couldn't saw any of that, so I, I, I really don't understand that. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism. À chaque, à peu près 20 mètres, se trouvent des poubelles. On a une autre poubelle juste un peu plus loin, même pas 20 mètres. Regardez là, il y a des gens qui ramassent les poubelles pour s'assurer que la rue ne devienne pas un gâchis. Là. Or dishonor the memory of our veterans. Thank you, truck drivers from the veterans of Canada. We appreciate you. We love you, and we we love you, Ottawa. 
on Parliament Hill and elsewhere, where people come together angry. tell it's canada because that's such a polite angry mob yeah uh in terms of uh canada polite uh one of the key slogans that came out during this period was uh fuck trudeau or (laughs) f with a maple leaf trudeau you know f c k trudeau canadian says that you know they're serious yeah you know they're uh yeah and uh uh, so if we can go to the next slide, um, you know, things are not looking good for the, for Trudeau now. He brought on a lot of, uh, ridicule and criticism. Sky TV in Australia was really outspoken. Uh, Joe Rogan was, uh, really outspoken in criticizing Eli Musk compared him to Hitler. Uh, he was really criticized in India. He had backed up a, farmers protest about the COVID restrictions in India and then went back to Canada and, uh, you know, did the opposite in his own country, couldn't take criticism himself. So the gloss is surely off uh, Trudeau. You know, he came into politics in 2015 as a family man. He's not a family man anymore. I did see reference in researching it to his male partner, um, and, uh, uh, anyway, he, he lives, uh, you know, he's very much, uh, uh, in the rainbow coalition. Uh, here's a children's book, how the prime minister, uh, with an obvious picture of Trudeau stole freedom describing, uh, you know, the concept of freedom in children's terms. And then how in the truckers, how he in shutting them down, uh, destroyed that, um, so um, I had had, uh, you know, about 25 slides of Trudeau in different in- incarnations. But let's just cut through all of that. Yeah, that, that, would be, uh, that would be too disgusting to have to see that many pictures of him. Yeah. Although, you know, there, there is this fascination with him. Now, now uh, the next one, it seems like you didn't get the uh, – uh, let, let's see what – let's see the next few pictures that you have. Do you okay, have anyone? We, here's a Jonathan Kay. No, you didn't, you didn't add, uh, the three that I asked you to add. Oh, must have missed them. Sorry. Yeah, that's, uh, going to be a, a bit of a, a difficult, uh, hurdle for me. But well, you, can, uh, you can just talk about it. Maybe I can edit it in or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, let's go to, uh, Coots again. Let's, let's, uh, remember that the truckers movement has had a you know huge impact. It helped create a critical mass of resistance to the COVID uh, restrictions and mandates in Canada and also in the world. And uh, we see in Netherlands, we see this uh, hostility of the green activists who are running our governments towards nitrogen. And we see uh, farmers in Netherlands and increasingly in other European countries using their big agricultural machinery and taking it out into the highway and advertising the fact that they are not ready to give up their way of life. 
with these dictates coming from the woke uh, movements who clearly, you know, how, how is it that all countries are getting uh, their signals from a central source? They're all doing the same thing. Sri Lanka was going to show point the way to being so very green. And now they, the, the, their country is uh, defunct in a way. They're, it's chaotic. It's anarchistic. There's no real government happening anymore. And not much food and fuel either. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're facing imminent possibility of nuclear war, almost certain uh, financial uh, mess, uh, the deterioration of our debt-based system, fiat system, uh, famine, and, uh, you know, and it, and it seems the powers that be are actively promoting these uh, hostilities, the, uh, the breakdown of every kind of supply chains. So, um, so if we go to the next slide, uh, this anti-hate network, I had a picture of, uh, Bernie Farber and Bernie Farber, uh, it was a picture of him going into this issue of hate speech and carrying on what the Anti-Defamation League does in the United States and Canada. Uh, and in order to, uh, uh, demonize the truckers, uh, in Ottawa, Farber publicized this image saying every single aspect of the COVA agenda is Jewish and then laying out uh, different claims on a single page to back up that, that assertion. Let's not get into that assertion. Uh, the fact of the matter is he was attempting to smear the truckers as anti-Semites and then it's interesting of all people, Jonathan Kay, who we know well, you know, who, who wrote, uh, among the truthers and who was sort of point person on fending off the 9-11 truthers on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 with yeah, his he book. Yeah, he had about 10 his, pages on me in that book. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, he lots worked of, lots for, of mistakes. <laughs> he worked for, uh, National Post, which the Glo- Glo- Can West Global owned for a time. Like he was, uh, uh, I think hired by Conrad Black, but then he worked for uh, Izzy Asper and his uh, media out- outfit. Uh, and then Gail and her brothers took over the media outfit. So Jonathan Kay says to Bernie uh, Farber, who is, you know, well-known history, uh, took down Keekstra, took down Ernst Zundel in Canada. Um, you know, they, the, He's an expert in defamation. He, I've been a, 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 a target of his uh, condemnations. Uh, but anyway, Kay writes, wow, Bernie, isn't it incredible that the picture your friend in Ottawa at the occupation, and he puts that in quotes, sent you, is identical to the photo on the Twitter two weeks ago by someone in Miami, right down to the ceramic detail in the background. So here's a, a, a proof that this didn't come from the truckers in Ottawa. It, w- it came from Miami, and uh, it was put into the mix by, uh, you know, Kay s- criticizes Bernie and uh, Bernie Farber and more or less accuses him of fraud. Uh, and uh, it caused me, you know, they planted Facebook post on my Facebook wall. And that, that came uh, from who- Florida too, didn't it? 
who, who, who came up with that idea? Uh-huh. Whose concept was it? Could it be this forgery expert, uh, um, uh, Bernie Farber? Um, so I'm, 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 you know, I have reason and we could go into a lot of detail on it, but let's not do it now uh-huh. on, uh, you know, Canadian, uh, Jewish Congress, um, Benny Brith Canada, Anti-Defamation League. Uh, so let's just go to the next slide. But, but, I mean, the Bernie Farber, Farber is pretty shameless in his smear jobs when he does such a horrible forgery here that even Jonathan Kay has to call him out on it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and also Ezra Levant, who is a, a right-wing, you know, conservative Zionist, he called him out on it. Uh, so... Um, so Jonathan Kay is up to his old tricks with the National Post. Uh, anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories aren't just killing people, they're tearing society apart. It just sort of sounds like Ron Unz there. Sounds, uh, sounds like a hyper, well, no, Ron just thinks they're tearing his website apart. <laughs> um, Bernie Farber, it seems to me quite possible he has Trudeau's ear. He, his organization, Canadian Anti-Hate Network, gets 20, 250,000 a year from him. And, you know, he's a very influential figure in Toronto. Uh, he, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all when the truckers came rolling in uh, and uh, Trudeau had the line that this is a, a, a marginal, a marginal group of fanatics, you know, that the language he was using uh, could have come from Bernie Farber and the cer- certain Attitude. I, I wonder if Bernie Farber is is shaping uh, Trudeau's perception of, of all of this. But let's go to the next slide. And uh, uh, now this is a uh, this is an issue uh, which underlines the intensity of the effort in Ottawa to find weapons uh, and to. Uh, uh, charge people, you know, find somebody that could charge with weapons possession and that they couldn't come up with anything in, in Ottawa. The people in Ottawa were very disciplined by and large. You know, there's a, f- a few episodes here and there inevitably, but by and large, the group were extremely disciplined, uh, upbeat. And we saw in that uh, video by Global Research, uh, you know, the contrast between what Trudeau was saying. Uh, now we'll see Dane Lloyd. Dane Lloyd got involved in the whole discussion, and it's about a 10-minute video of a discussion in Parliament about the swastika and different Jewish members in the Conservative Party saying, how dare you, you know, associate me, a a child of Holocaust survivors, with uh, the swastika. Uh, And uh, there was a a very heated uh, back and forth on the... uh, could I say the Jewish question, Dane Lloyd, he said, you know, my grandfather died, died killing uh, Nazis in Germany. Um, and don't, don't you dare put this on me. So here he is in a, in a hearing of so, some sort in the municipal uh, context in Ottawa. And he's talking to the interim police chief about this issue of not being able to find weapons in Ottawa. So if we could watch this, it sort of runs into the fact that uh, um, uh, interim chief slowly, or sorry, interim chief uh, Bell. My apologies. Um, in Ottawa during the uh, protest clearing operation, were any loaded shotguns found in the trucks of protesters? 
Mr. Chair, what I can indicate is uh, throughout the protest, we did receive information um, and intelligence around weapons uh, and the possession of weapons by people that either had attended or intended on intending uh, the occupation. As a result of the clearing, at no point did we lay any firearms-related charges, yet there are investigations that continue in relation to weapons possessions at the occupation. I guess yes or no, Interim Chief, were loaded firearms found in the trucks during the protest clearing operation? Yes, sir. So no. as, I, as I indicated, Mr. Chair, there, there has been no charges laid to date in relations to weapons at the occupation site. It's, it's just a clear, it's a clear question, Interim Chief. Like, were weapons found? Like, were fire, loaded firearms found, yes or no? So in relation to, no, not, not okay. to relating to any charges to this point. Thank you, uh, Chief. Uh, that's very illuminating. On March 19th, this past Saturday, uh, a reporter, Justin Lang, wrote in the Toronto Star, uh, quote, that police sources indicated that loaded shotguns were found in trucks at the Ottawa protest. Is this false information? So I'm un unfamiliar with the quote you're referring to, but as I indicated before, we have we received intelligence information, continue criminal investigations, and no charges have been laid to date in relation to firearms. But the article claims that a police source told journalists that loaded shotguns were found in trucks during the protest clearing operation, and you have said to this committee that that is in fact not the case, that loaded shotguns were not found in trucks during the protest clearing operation. Is that the case, Interim Chief? So uh, thank you for the question. Uh, Mr. Chair, as, as I indicated, um, we received intelligence information. I'm, I'm un, unclear around the source information that was received for that article or the corroboration around it, but we have not laid any Today, charges interim to chief that, in relation. Can you clarify, Interim Chief, speaking on the record, not off the record, that loaded shotguns were not found in the vehicles during the protest operation? Can you confirm that? So, yet, consistent with my answer previously, yes, I can confirm to date. Thank you. No charges have been laid. If there had been, if there had been firearms found, would, would the government have been made aware of that, as far as you know? Would the cabinet have been made aware of that if there had been firearms found? Well, our normal course of action would be that we would conduct an investigation and charges would be laid, and as a result of those charges, there would be public notifications of those charges. Um, we wouldn't specifically notify any level of government as to the course or the conclusion of any investigation. But they would have been immediately aware if you had found firearms, correct? So there would have been public notifications okay. made. So we had a, a, a cabinet minister, the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, Mark Miller, retweeted that article from Justin Ling from the Toronto Star, claiming that there were loaded shotguns found in trucks. This is misinformation. Uh, chief, and I submit to the committee, misinformation being spread uh, by a journalist and misinformation being spread by a member of this government. Um, and I'll just close my remarks and give my time to Mr. Shipley. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Yeah, you notice that... Uh, hard to get a straight answer out of these guys, huh? Yeah, and by this time, the police chief in Ottawa had uh, resigned and then they'd appointed somebody else, and he resigned. And by the time they got to this interim fellow, you know, they'd been through quite a musical chairs trying to find somebody who would lead up the Ottawa police force. 
you know, on behalf of, half of Justin Trudeau and his efforts to um, demonize the truckers, basically. Um, so, so here, you know, if we could go to the the next slide, um, and uh, you know, here we see that the Canadian government is trying to find weapons in the trucks. They're trying to get somebody to say that uh, what is going on is ideologically motivated violent extremism. Somebody called Barry McKillop at the unit in Canada and the federal government that, that looks at supposedly terrorist funding. Uh, he said, you know, I'm not aware of anything that is ideologically motivated violent extremism. So they sort of strike out, the government strikes out in Ottawa and then Literally on the morning of February 14th, Valentine's Day, the same day that they're going to declare the emergency act, they arrest 11 people in coots and they come up with a, uh, a very vital photograph, which uh, didn't make it into, you know, our, our, our adjustments with the slides, but uh, this uh, arsenal of guns was you know, published everywhere on February 15th to sort of demonstrate, oh, they found, you know, weapons and, and the, the whole aura when you sit in court, they, they're constantly on the videos showing pictures of ammunition and guns and guns paraphernalia and, you know, really, uh, using the coot situation to build up, uh, this imagery. Now, where, you know, how, how, where do those guns in the pictures come from? how they come to be, how they come to be assembled. That's not really described. And you and I know from all the time we did on False Flag Weekly News, and you're still doing it, that, you know, these false flag events, you create an image which seems to be the damning image, and then you just reproduce it. And people just glance at it and say, oh, well, look at all those guns. They must be, there must be something to this, this allegation. So if we move on to the next image uh, and we come back to these four individuals, um, you know, I, it, it seems strange that uh, it's falling to me, but I haven't seen anybody else really explain in a larger context. And this video here is going to be important in getting the news out. Yes, there's Tamara Leach, there's Pat King, there's a lot of violence against the like the woman knocked down by the horses in Ottawa, and and you know, bad things happen in Ottawa. But this is really exceptional. These four individuals, Chris Carbert, Carbert Anthony Olianik, Jerry Moran, and Christopher Lysick, charged with conspiracy to commit murder of cops. And the very cops they're supposedly trying to murder are setting up the case against them and, you know, creating the evidence against them. And isn't there some kind of implicit conflict of interest there? Are these political prisoners? Is it? What is to be said of keeping people who have been charged, who have been uh, found guilty of nothing in jail for a year and a half leading up to their trials? Because uh, and then, you know, what what you hear about how what kind of evidence is being used? Uh, what I heard about in court was uh, that uh, cell phone calls were uh, were being used, that they had uh, uh, infiltrators. And rumor has it that these infiltrators were attractive young women. Now, uh, I guess it's never happened that, you know, men sometimes become 
boastful <laughs> in trying to talk to attractive young women. I guess that never happens. But in any case, uh, you know, did entrapment take place? Uh, what, what, what is going on here? So, so Canada is, uh, you know, slipping into the police state mode, um, precipitously, like is happening in the United States. These seem to be, these people seem to be set, set up as the equivalents of those in the United States who were kept in jail for, for a year, who were essentially tortured in jail. How are they being treated? Um, uh, so uh, Canada really has a lot of explaining to do. When Trudeau got to the European Parliament, Christine Anderson said, you would, you're a disgrace to any democracy. You know, please make yourself scarce. Don't be in this chamber. You have no right to talk in, in the European Parliament. Uh, and, and he did, and she did accuse him of, uh, creating his own citizens as if they're terrorists in order to clamp down on them. Uh, the word terrorism is not being used much in, uh, the procedures in the court that I've heard in, um, here in Lethbridge. But, you know, terrorism, the, the, the post 9-11 era, the whole idea that you're innocent until proven guilty, that's pretty much left behind. All of our um, rights and freedoms, it seems, we have them until we need them, and then they're expendable. Uh, we talked about Brian Peckford in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it applies or doesn't apply. There's no due process in Canada. So this human rights violation, global news, and the Canadian and its relationship with the Canadian Museum of Human Rights, where is there a real a discussion about the human rights of these four individuals to at least be able to be with their families until they get to trial uh, a year and a half after they're charged. But no, they're kept in prison. I watched one of them, Olianik's Filipino mother, who was sort of accused. She was on trial. You know, she was being persecuted and prosecuted, trying to say that she would create the context where her son could you know, stay in her, in her house and she would put her house up and he wouldn't take off and have her lose her house. Uh, the whole, uh, white supremacist, uh, uh, imagery that they seem to want to, uh, propose and convey, you know, doesn't work very well when your mother is Filipino. Um, anyway, so if we can just move along and sort of bring this to a close, uh, I did mention that, uh, at the Coots blockade, uh, members of the legislative assembly, elected members of the provincial government did go to the Coots event, uh, Grant Hunter here. And, uh, he wanted to show his grandchildren that, you know, you have to stand up for your rights and freedoms and you have to take a stand. Uh, and, uh, the whole issue of what was really going on at Coots, it wasn't just an illegal blockade. As I mentioned, Christia Freeland used the term 11 times in four minutes to justify her whole initiative. Uh, so uh, let's just bring it to an end uh, with, with that. Uh, let's go to the next. Uh, uh, it wasn't just Christine Anderson in the European Parliament. Uh, others have said, uh, you know, for instance, the Croatian member, Canada, once a symbol of uh, the modern world, has become a symbol of civil rights violations under your, he's saying this to 
Trudeau, who's in the room, your quasi-liberal boot in recent months. We watched how you trample women with horses, how you block the bank accounts of single parents so that they can't even pay their children's education and medicine. They can't pay utilities, mortgages for their homes. To you, he continues speaking to Trudeau, these may be liberal methods. For many citizens of the world, it is dictatorship of the worst kind. Uh, Joe Rogan called him a dictator. Uh, my member of parliament called him a di- dictator. Uh, Rachel Thomas. Um, so uh, that's it. Um, is there another okay. slide? Well, that, thank you. Slide. No more slides? Uh, and there no, is we got Trudeau with his, haircut. With his uh, <laughs> summer haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he needs a Castro beard and a cigar, actually, to, to look cool. But how, how long are we at? How long have we taken? Uh, I, I have no idea. So let's just yeah. just go through and finish it. Yeah, and of course, there's. Well, let, let's just finish it here. Okay. I would mention that there's a 14-minute video linked to a video, which is widely disseminated. It's a gorgeous. It's a masterpiece of its type. And, uh, you know, we had talked about putting it on at the end. You could watch this 14-minute video, which sort of gives an overview of the whole Freedom Convoy movement. And really what was amazing about it was the people showing up in the middle of winter in the Arctic cold, you know, in large numbers to urge on these truckers. Uh, If the Liberal Party of Canada, you know, sent across Canada, uh, convoy. I don't think they would, they would get one hundredth of the attention that these people got. Um, and so it was a, it's a great moment. Ironically, the freedom convoy people adopt the Canadian flag as a symbol. And Trudeau seems to want to be a post national. He doesn't want, he doesn't like nationalism. He wants globalism. He wants, he doesn't want to deal with making decisions in parliament in that old obsolete place. He wants to go to Davos and uh, speak with people that, uh, you know, have a similar background to him. Uh, and uh, so how do we uh, address this problem of the globalists when our only ability to influence government is at the national level, in elections, in, you know, in, in our states, in our provinces, in our, our federal government? Uh, what happens when you just move all the power off to, uh, you know, offshore places and, uh, um, uh, so let's leave it at that. And if, if you choose to somehow attach that, uh, uh, video to the end of this mm-hmm. or make a link at the end of it. Yeah. I'll, I'll at the very least, uh, link it and, and, uh, make sure people can find their way to it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Anthony Hall, University of Lethbridge, you know, academic freedom fighter, still standing up for freedom, uh, in, uh, the Trudeau dictatorship, Canada. <laughs> we just heard about. Okay. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the invite, Kevin. Okay, thanks, Tony. Look, we'll we'll do this again. This was uh, very enlightening. See you later. Okay. Bye bye.